Welcome to Follow the Data. I'm your host, Catherine Oliver. The coronavirus pandemic continues to surge across the country, and contact tracing is one of the best tools to slow the spread. The Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health and Bloomberg Philanthropies, together with New York State, launched a free online course in order to train an army of contact tracers to reach and assist people who have been exposed to the virus. The course, called COVID-19 Contact Tracing, was spearheaded by Dr. Emily Gurley, an infectious disease epidemiologist at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, and teaches the fundamentals of interviewing people diagnosed with COVID-19, finding their close contacts who may have been exposed, and providing them with advice and support for self-quarantine. Passing the course is a requirement for contact tracers in New York State, though anyone in the world may take the course, whether they're interested in becoming a contact tracer or just want to understand the process. More than 550,000 students have enrolled in the course since it launched in May. Dr. Emily Gurley joined Kelly Larson from the Bloomberg Philanthropies Public Health Team on June 26th to tell us more about what contact tracing really is and what makes a contact tracer effective. What material is covered in the free COVID-19 contact tracing course and the role technology plays in fighting COVID-19. So, Emily, can you talk to us a bit about what contact tracing actually is? By the time you're sick, you probably may have infected someone already. So then we find the people that they've had contact with while they've been infectious and then identify those folks to let them know that they've been exposed and they could also be infected. And then we help them change their behavior so that if they become infectious, right, they're not going to transmit to anyone else unknowingly. One of the difficult things about this virus is that you can infect someone else before you know you're sick. So those people that test positive, the local health department gets in touch with them and elicits those contacts that they may have been in touch with closer than six feet, longer than 10 minutes. How difficult is it to actually elicit that information from the people who test positive and who they've been in contact with? Getting that information is vitally important. If we're going to give people a heads up, let them know that they've been exposed. And how easy that is really depends on a number of things. First of all, it depends on how many people you've actually been around. For many of us, our lives have been confined for the most part to our homes. And so I can safely say, for example, the only people I've had contact with in a very long time are only the people I live with. It becomes quite easy to identify those people. As society starts to open back up and that's no longer true, identifying those contacts could be more difficult. But again, it really varies on the person not only you know what their life is like but how good they are at keeping track of where they are and where they go and sort of what else do they have around that could help jog their memory about who they may have been in contact with the other difficulty is that some folks just may not feel comfortable talking about who their contacts are who they spend time with is their personal information and There may be uh, some people who just aren't comfortable or may not know enough about what contact tracing is and how the information is going to be used. 
So they may not share some of that information. So it's important to, to make sure that people know what this is all about, what we're doing, and importantly, why, how important it is for their contacts. Let's say you've had contact with someone, you're reluctant to share that information with a contact tracer, but you know maybe that person has someone living with them or someone close to them who is very vulnerable for severe disease or death. I think we need more conversations to make sure that we don't run up against that problem in contact tracing programs. Can you talk a bit about the qualities of a good contact tracer? You talk about some of the concerns of people sharing information. What really makes a contact tracer effective? Well, of course, you have to know the basics. You have to know about how the disease is spread. You have to understand how contact tracing works to stop that transmission. But you've got to be really good at not just giving credible information, but also getting credible information from people. You've got to be a good communicator to do this well. I think you also have to be resilient. When you call someone to tell them that they've been exposed to this virus and they could themselves be infected, that's bad news. When you talk to people, again, who who are infected or just the contacts, you're asking them to change their behavior, to isolate or self-quarantine. And that is difficult to do. So contact tracers have to have and keep up this effective communication in very difficult circumstances. I think, as we've said before, they're part disease detective, part therapist, and part social worker. You've got to wear a lot of hats. And the course that Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health developed, the Contact Tracing 101 course that you spearheaded, can you say a bit more about what is included in that course and how that supports contact tracing? Absolutely. When we first launched the course, the timeline was driven by our support for the New York State program, where they were dramatically ramping up their contact tracing workforce. And so the mandate is not to provide a complete comprehensive training for contact tracing. This is a complex job. But what the course is aiming to do is give everyone the basics. So if you're hiring someone as a contact tracer who has no background in public health or infectious diseases, has never done this before, there are certain basic things that they need to know. We put together a five-hour course, roughly five hours, may take six to complete. There are five modules, and we go through the transmission of SARS coronavirus to the disease it causes, which is COVID-19. The second module talks about what contact tracing is, theoretically how it works, what are we doing to interrupt transmission. The third module is about the exact steps in contact tracing. So one by one, what do you do first? What do you do next? The fourth module is primarily focused on the ethical considerations around contact tracing. They get and receive private information and sometimes confidential medical information as well. And so it's important that they understand under work circumstances they can ask it, what kinds of questions they can ask, what kinds of questions they can't ask, and importantly, that they understand that this information can only be used for the purposes of contact tracing. And finally, module five is about effective communication, advice on how to engage with people, 
how to talk in a clear way that people can understand, how to build rapport, but importantly, how to listen. Actively listening to people is a very important skill. So it provides the core principles, but it doesn't mean that they're trained to be a contact tracer. It would require additional training depending on where they're working or how does that work? Yes, you absolutely need more training than just what we provide to become a contact tracer. In the course, we do have some simulated calls. So it's not just didactic. We do provide examples of what a call with a contact sounds like, what a call where the case sounds like, but we give this sort of a very basic scenario. And as anybody who's ever done this knows that most calls have at least some level of complexity. We just don't get into all those levels of complexity in the course. We just don't have the time. But there's a great deal more of training that's required to become a good contact tracer beyond this course. So you had mentioned that this online course was developed in part as a mandate to help support New York State. And I know at the time Governor Cuomo had said when he announced the partnership between Bloomberg Philanthropies and the state of New York, this program needed to be ramped up in days, not weeks or months. What was it like for you with that mandate, knowing that you needed to develop a five-hour course and get it up and running within days, not weeks or months. Certainly it was a daunting, uh, punishing timeline. So I was the lead instructor, but I worked with a really fantastic team of folks here at Johns Hopkins and friends of Johns Hopkins, <laughs> people with a lot of experience working as contact tracers or leading contact tracing programs in other places and for other diseases. We had the dream team to pull this off but it was punishing. We didn't sleep very much, so it's a bit of a blur, but we knew, well, we knew how important it was. And I think we were really focused on the New York deadline, but we, we knew this was gonna be important for other places too. As with so many things in the pandemic, when you, you, you can fully understand the urgency and it compels you to do, things like except crazy timelines. And when did the program launch and what has the demand been for the training course? So the training first went live on May 11th, just over a month and a half ago. And we've had over 440,000 people enrolled since it began. I believe there's over 160,000 who've completed the course, but I can assure you I never would have thought this much. So it's extremely gratifying to know that so many people have found the course useful. Obviously in New York State, they've been using it for hiring. We've heard from many other states and cities and jurisdictions that are doing the same. I know that it's been translated into at least five other languages by now. Coursera is launching a Portuguese and a Spanish option, but I've heard from people all over the world who want to translate the materials to use it for their own contact tracing programs. One in particular in Chile, they've launched their own program. They adapted our materials and used it and put it into their local context. And their program now has trained thousands of contact tracers. You know, the ripple effects, I could never have imagined, but it's just extremely gratifying. And it's clear that it's, it's more than just a course. I think in the United States, there's a hunger for credible information about what's happening, what can we do about it. 
people want to be empowered. They want to be able to take action. They want to feel like they have some control. And I think a lot of people have taken it just for that reason as well. And the course is free, correct? It's free. And there's also a certificate that you can earn if you pass the assessment. And the certificate is also free. And when you developed the course, did you ever imagine that countries outside of the United States would adapt and translate? Did you have any sense of the scope? I had some suspicions. Most of my career I've spent working in Bangladesh, actually. So I'm really in the global health world. And I know that resources of this kind are are really useful for anyone. So yeah, I had some suspicions that that might be the case. But of course, to be optimal for any given program, the materials need to be adapted. So I think it's really fantastic that we're able to make those resources available, not just in the form of a course, but also to allow folks through a Creative Commons license to take it and use it and multiply the impact of our efforts to communities who really need it. The idea that contact tracing is facilitated by contact tracers, but it's something that everyone in the community does. We all have to agree and buy in that this is what we're going to do to protect ourselves and to protect each other. Yeah. So just a shout out to all the people doing the hard work. (laughs) Developing the course is nothing compared to the actual work that people have to do to pull this off. They're our best hope at trying to control spread. Not everything's going to work perfectly. You know, you start a contact tracing program, there's going to be bumps in the road and the opportunities to fix those and to get things running smoothly. That's where it takes weeks and months, not days. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) has anyone ever said like, oh, we launched a new vaccine program. It's been two weeks. There are still some kids vaccinated. This is not going well. No. (laughs) I know. It's it's almost like we need to set the expectations for contact tracing. Like you start and then it's going to take some time to get things running smoothly and efficiently. We have to be in learning mode. Yeah. You had mentioned earlier about contact tracing being a proven public health strategy used for TB, HIV, and it's grown over the years. How has technology changed contact tracing? Or maybe it hasn't. But what role does technology play now here in 2020 fighting COVID-19? The scope and the scale of the effort required to confront COVID-19 is really unparalleled, particularly here in the United States. I think we're wise to use whatever tools we can to meet that challenge. At the end of the day, contact tracing is about making connections with people And really, again, helping them change their behavior. From that respect, technology, you know, doesn't change contact tracing. It doesn't change what we have to do to meaningfully change transmission. But at the same time, there are many steps where technology can help us do things smarter, do things faster. I think one of the most important technology investments that contact tracing programs should have is on data entry and management and analysis. That's one that there's not a lot of conversations about in the general media, but knowing how many people you contact each day, how many contacts does each case have, 
you know, how well are you doing in terms of your timing? Can you generate reports every day and really understand how well things are working? That's crucial, it's vital for your program. And it's really important to help us understand how transmissions happen in your community. Some of the best data that we have on transmission of SARS coronavirus 2 comes from contact tracing programs in other countries. So we need to know for ourselves with our own data what's happening and what transmission looks like. And so data from the system is really important. There are also some tools that can help. Some programs use SMS text messaging as a way to check in with people. We talked a lot about the first call you have with a case and a contact, asking about their signs and symptoms, getting them to isolate and quarantine, but it's really just the beginning of a relationship because you have to follow up with people every day who are in isolation and quarantine. It's, it's a relationship that you're establishing. There's a lot of discussion about how do we find contacts faster? And there's been a lot of discussion about developing applications that people could download onto a smartphone. And then those applications would keep track of other phones that have that app on them. And if you entered into your app, you had COVID, there would be an anonymous notification to the other phones that you had been nearby. That's the general of what's been discussed. I think some places like Australia may be using something like this. And again, I think we should use all the tools that we have available, but those apps in the United States created a lot of concern about contact tracing programs. People were worried about getting attacked by the government. And so I think it created a lot of conversation. I mean, I, these aren't widely used in the US right now. And so I think it created some misconceptions about what contact tracing is. I haven't really seen data on how well they work. I have some questions about, okay, this is using Bluetooth technology. You know, how well did that really capture this interaction? If we're outside and we're both wearing masks, if we're three feet away from each other, is that really a contact we want to follow up on? I think you know, there are a lot of questions for me personally about how those apps would work and the utility. We're learning more about the virus every day. And as we continue to understand the transmission um, and everything that goes with COVID-19, do you think that there would be another course that is developed for contact tracing? Or do you feel like what was already developed will meet the needs and demands for contact tracing programs around the country and the world? I think it's much more likely that if there were major changes to our understanding of transmission, just amend the course that we already have, maybe change some things out. You know, a lot of the modules and a lot of the things that we talk about aren't things that change, like how does contact tracing work or what's effective communication. But, you know, it's possible you could imagine a world where we have radically different testing and radically different transmission scenarios and case counts. And the strategy that we want to use is also very different. It's possible. But I think the basics of what's in the course now have always been the basics and probably will continue to be for the foreseeable future. Well, thank you so much for your time and for all of your great work on contact tracing. It's really great to see the demand for the course that you spearheaded and was developed by Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health and wish you all the best. Wish the best for all of us. Thanks for having me on.
We hope you enjoyed this episode of Follow the Data. Many thanks to Dr. Emily Gurley and Kelly Larson for joining us. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to Follow the Data podcast and tell your friends to subscribe as well. For the latest developments in the COVID-19 public health crisis, follow the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health on social media at Johns Hopkins SPH. This episode was created by Devin Alessio, Ivy Lee, Sarah Washington, Eric Levin, Bibi Nunez, and Amy June. As our founder, Mike Bloomberg, says, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. So until next time, keep following the data. I'm Catherine Oliver. Thanks for listening.